Welcome to the Pure Infrastructure Podcast. The Pure Infrastructure Podcast is hosted by Pure Infrastructure, which is a managed cloud company in Nairobi that helps companies make a better return on their cloud assets. The podcast is sponsored by VMware, which is a leading software and software-as-a-service vendor in the cloud and multi-cloud space. This is our 10th episode, and um, we are glad to have Ben Roberts, who's the Chief Technology and Innovation Officer at Liquid Intelligence Technologies. Welcome, Ben. Thank you. Thank you to be here. Thank you. So uh, just as a start, just give us a background, a personal background. Um, who are you? How did you end up in tech? How did you end up in liquid? Mm, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm Ben. Um, I, look, I ended up in tech. Um, I, I kind of worked, I studied physics, but I worked in a couple of uh, different types of tech companies. Um, but first of all, I was developing, uh, developing components. Then moved on to developing uh, systems. Um, so that was uh, radio paging systems using satellite communications uh, and multiplexing uh, channels over satellite. Um, then uh, technology moved on and, and suddenly radio paging uh, was, was completely irrelevant um, as soon as the first SMS was, was sent. Um, and then I, I moved into um, more satellite systems, uh, working on uh, mesh networks and, and, uh, and how to connect uh, remote areas uh, and started working a bit in Africa. Um, then into a new technology, which was voice over IP at the time, which was quite quite uh, quite new at the time, and uh, was very much used in the early days. It's now, uh, you know, the, the basis of technology of WhatsApp calling and things like that. But it was very much used and still is for uh, trunking of voice calls um, over international, uh, over yeah. international yeah. networks um, and and challenging existing business models that were there in in africa as well um, people would use it for um even bypassing um you know exchanges and things so uh, really that that brought me into um those experiences brought me to working for liquid which is uh, i joined in 2002 um as the first engineer and and really having you know background of of satellite voice over ip integrating networks um and you know we were just starting up as a as a network for Africa, um, you know, based out of the United Kingdom. Um, but uh, kind of that's, you know, that sort of skill set was what, what brought me into the job and, and implementing those technologies uh, straight away from, from the box, out of the box into, into live production. Wow. And so it's been 19 years? Uh, 19 years, yeah. yes. Wow. Yeah. Um, and you, you've touched on liquid. Um, just give us a background on liquid intelligent technologies. Um, and just sort of cover initially just data centers, the core telco business, and the labs. Mm, thanks. Yeah. Um, look. So we started out uh, as I've alluded. We started out doing voice and satellite, um, and uh, we've seen uh, a number of um, big shifts in technology, particularly in Africa, over the over the period of time that we've been operating. Um, and uh, you know, a couple of those really big mega trends are around shifting of, of uh, voice to data um, is, a, is a huge trend and, and shifting of satellite to fiber. Um, however, satellite is still a massive industry. Mm. Uh, it's still a very big business for us. And, and we've just moved our satellite side of the business to um, from, from trunking to access. Instead of having a big dish in Nairobi uh, mm. picking up satellite signals, we've got hundreds of dishes all over Kenya uh, picking up satellite signals. So, so uh, more in small facilities on schools or healthcare or, or county offices, that sort of thing. Um, but we came uh, to building fiber um, you know, in about 
2007-2008, we saw this shift in technology. So, so we predicted what was going on. We saw that you know, the main cities of Africa would no longer require satellite communications as their backbone. Um, and, and we, as a major backbone provider, we'd build a big IP network. We'd, we'd got some good customers, mobile networks. Um, but what are we going to do? Um, so we embarked on, uh, on building fiber. Uh, we picked Zimbabwe as the first country where we, we built fiber. Um, and that was, we had, a, um, there was a shift in, in, in the regulation and law that allowed us to, to do that in Zimbabwe, but we also had big customers in Zimbabwe. Um, both, you know, the, the, the telcos and also the, the bigger businesses of Zimbabwe. So we built the biggest fiber network in Zimbabwe. I mean, we started off building, um, uh, fiber networks in Harare, um, then a link from Harare to South Africa, um, but extended that crossing all the, or in fact, all the cities of, of Zimbabwe, but also extending into other countries. So, so going into uh, then north to Zambia um, and multiple routes into Zambia, um, crossing various ways. It's a, it's a big river, the Zambezi, so we're crossing um, you know, various uh, options to cross the river. Um, and extending it further north into into DRC as well. So we kind of built this spur of a fiber backbone heading up what we called the Central Africa Broadband Project, what yeah. we called it at the beginning. Um, meanwhile, um, our friends in Kenya were busy doing something similar. Um, so and, uh, some a bunch of companies, and we were just talking about some of the, yeah. the, the key players behind that, but... Uh, you know, names like Noshad Morali, Kai Wolf, yeah. David Owino were busy building networks, doing very similar things to what we were doing, yeah. building from Mombasa to Nairobi, yeah. into Uganda, into, into Rwanda. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, around about 2012, um, you know, the opportunity for us to um, acquire those networks came up. Um, yeah. We were, um, it was the first time we were in a position to make a big acquisition. We, we'd we'd looked before at other, uh, you know, ways to scale. We looked at other ISPs that had, had grown up in Africa, um, but we hadn't been able to uh, to execute transactions. But you know, this was the one. So yeah. um, we came to East Africa in in uh, twenty thirteen. We we closed the transaction, and and I ended up coming for six months. Um, mm. I'm still here. Um, <laughs> so, but so, um, but then coming to to Kenya. Um, you know, we, we came, we, we bought a network for a fiber network, yeah. but we found we had a very nice data center. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, uh, in actual fact, um, you know, as I was, you know, doing the diligence on the, on the, on the company we were buying, you know, um, the people selling thought this data center was, uh, um, was like the pig in the, in, in the farm. I saw it as the diamond, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so, uh, but, you know, we, it was uh, um, just one of those things. Um, we gradually grew the data center business, um, but then we made a, um, I'm trying to think what year it was, it must have been 2017, uh, but we've made a, a big acquisition then in South Africa. Yeah, Neotel, um, yeah. Neotel, yeah. yeah. So Neotel had been the second national operator yeah. um, and again had embarked on quite similar strategies to what Liquid Telecom and what KDN had done. Um, so they'd been building fiber networks in South Africa. They'd been um, partnering initially with the railways, so they'd built fiber networks on the railway lines. They'd landed some of the subsea cables, so they'd helped uh, operators, some of the subsea cable operators land into Durban um, as well. I think the same thing had happened here with uh, KDN had helped the same Seacom, operators. Seacom yeah. had come into, yeah. into Mombasa. Um, but they'd also invested into, um, into global subsea networks. Yeah. 
and they built a big data center. They built two, actually, uh, one in Cape Town, one in Johannesburg. Um, but at the time, we were, um, we were buying those. Um, you know, what we've started to see since about 2018, I think 2018 to 2019 and, and, and onwards really has been, you know, by far the biggest investment in data centers on the African continent we, we've seen in those three years. It's same thing happened in North America and, and Europe as well. Uh, I forget which year it was, but there was a turning point when, um, you know, the data center um, business um, changed from, People building data centers to host ISPs and web hosting companies and banks. That's how it had been. That's uh, it's how it's been in Kenya at the beginning as well. Um, suddenly, it changes to you know these big companies. We call them fangs or, 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 or gaffers. You know, the, the, we know who they are. Um, so large tech companies who host the biggest cloud infrastructures in the world. They were coming to Africa, and, and they're still coming to Africa. Um, we've seen Microsoft and Amazon launch in, in, uh, in, in Cape Town and Johannesburg, respectively. Um, and in fact, Microsoft in both. We're seeing other ones coming. I think there's been announcements from, from Oracle as well. Um, but, you know, all coming to, um, to Africa with large cloud deployments. This has really changed the, um, the data center industry. We're no longer talking of building data centers, we're all talking of building hyperscale data centers. Yeah. Uh, and that's because that's what hyperscalers use. The, the, these guys, the, the fangs, we call them hyperscalers because they build massive data farms at scale. We build for them the data uh, rooms and the connectivity ecosystem for, for them to, to build at scale. So that's kind of, um, you know, the history of, 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 of networks, really, I think. Yeah. Um, but the, 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 the other... Um, um, you know, the, the, the point we're at now is you'll hear us talking a lot about um, Cape Town to Cairo or, or Mombasa to Kinshasa. Mm. We're talking about trans-African routes. Um, so we're, we're talking about data moving from uh, the large financial and, and uh, centers of, of Africa, the large economies of Africa. So those large economies is South Africa, Kenya, Nigeria, Egypt, Morocco. You know, these are the big economies. So we're talking about trade between those countries. We're talking about moving data and exchange of digital information. So um, kind of that's where we're at with infrastructure. But we're seeing, you know, no longer is it a case that all data is exchanged in, in, in data centers in Europe, in Amsterdam, in London. We're seeing data between these big financial centers of the continent, these big industrial economies. Um, it's been exchanged in Nairobi, in Johannesburg, in Cape Town, in Lagos, you know, so that's, that's kind of what we're building networks for, for this, okay. this mega trend of, of trade and, and data in the continent. Okay, so it's sort of to sum it up or paraphrase you, you're basically building the infrastructure for the hyperscalers, both connectivity and like the physical actual data centers. But well, we're building data centers for Africans, really. Yeah, um, but, um, okay, yeah, yeah. for Africans, but those are the customers. They are some of the big some customers. Of, yeah. They're driving the, they're driving the, the, the big demand. scale. They're driving the big bandwidths yeah. um, and they're driving the, the, the large data centers. And, um, you know, people always say, uh, you know, why is the cost of a, of a, a link between... Cape Town and Johannesburg more expensive than a link between London and Amsterdam, even though it's you know same sort of distance. These are the questions mm. that people ask, and 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 the answer is, is that you know um, 
the quantity of data moving yeah. between between London and Amsterdam is so much more. Yeah. You know, um, a fiber once it's been built, it costs the same to build a fiber anyway. It's even cheaper to build in Africa. Um, but once you've installed it, it's very unlimited in the capacity of data it can carry. You know, it's, it's a question of adding uh, incremental costs of equipment. Um, in Africa, um, we haven't seen uh, enough data moving across the fiber networks to, to bring down the pricing to the same levels we've seen in Europe. So these hyperscalers, by coming and, and connecting their data centers cloud to cloud, data center to data center, it's driving down the efficiency of the operations. Okay. Uh, so it is bringing down the cost for Africans. Right? Yeah. Mm. Okay, that, that makes sense. So basically, because uh, the cost of running the fiber is fixed, largely fixed. So if you've got less bandwidth flowing through it, you pay more per... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Liquid Labs, tell us more about that because it seems to be a bit orthogonal to your core business. Um, you look, it, it's it's more on top, right? Yeah. So so um, you, you know, my my job is never. I've never actually dug a trench. Um, <laughs> I've never laid a brick. Yeah. Um, but um, we have very good teams who've done a lot of infrastructure build, and um, uh, and I mentioned David Awino. He's one who did that a lot in Kenya. We've got a, a you know, half a dozen of, of David Awinos all over the continent who yeah. built big networks for us. And, um, you know, so uh, I kind of my job has really been, you know, applying on top of that, um, you know, w what we do next. So um, I mentioned starting at the beginning, I mentioned voice over IP. So um, we started off with satellite links, but I came in with a particular skill set, been working on voice over IP. But we were able to run um, 12 to 1 compression uh, on voice, which is way more than anybody else is running. We were able to run far cheaper networks, run more voice minutes at a lower cost than, than some of the biggest networks in the world. BT and others were, were big in Africa. Um, but all along, I kind of my job has been to uh, look at what are the services we we bring on top of that network. So, so things like um, you know moving that satellite network into um, into a distribution network, um, bringing in MPLS. So, so I, MPLS networks. I, I introduced that um, into Zimbabwe uh, for the first time, and it was introduced in Kenya, I think, by KDN. You know, totally changing the um, the products that you could get, you know, no longer were you restricted to buying two megabits per second lines. You could just have flexible bandwidth. You can tune up any to any office to any office. So really, I'm and I'm still focused on, you know, building some of the next things that come on top of um, where we're at. But I was operating. If you think of um, uh, there's a everything everybody studies in communications called the OSI seven layer model. Um, and and I, I look at, you know, level one uh, is, is data centers and fiber. Level two uh, is coming over, but it, it's networks. It's, it's, uh, it's equipment, optical equipment. It's, it's, it's routers and switches. Um, and then over the top, you know, level three, it, it's the IP network. It's the routing network. I'm really looking at, you know, all those layers above um, okay. of, of, of things. So looking at stuff like IoT, uh, video gaming. Um, uh, we're also looking at our own ways we do our network. We're looking at network automation. So I'm looking at, uh, you know, how do we do things more efficiently? How do we uh, bring in new services that have not been done before that are coming on top of cloud data centers, uh, fiber? Um, and, uh, and really how we get... 
um, people doing innovative company, innovative companies and startups in Africa, getting them to use our network to do innovative things. Because if we don't, if we don't build a network for the generation of um, people who are building these new digital products, then what are we here for? Right? Yeah. I see your point. And I'll, I'll sort of go off on a bit of a tangent, actually not a tangent, but back to what you were discussing earlier. You've built networks across most of the continent. Um, and, you know, conceptually it seems like a straightforward thing, but you're basically building um, networks in different markets with different levels of market maturity. So, you know, in Kenya, um, you have competition. Um, you go to other parts of Africa, it's not as stiff. Um, when there's regulation, um, it's completely varied um, language. How do you sort of build these networks with all these variables, sort of? Um? Yeah, I mean, you know, information is getting better. Yeah. Um, uh, but, um, you know, what started the building of networks was was changes in regulation. Yeah. Um, we We've had countries that, wouldn't give out licenses. You could only build anything with licenses. Um, you couldn't cross borders. Um, but we, we've kind of got to a um, stage where um, some countries are, are, are almost becoming more open. I would call Kenya one of those. What we're seeing now, um, a licensing framework for community networks um, been been released. I think, you know, maybe it's being adopted in Kenya. Um, we see in South Africa, that, that happened via a different process, but we see in South Africa, it's already happened. Um, there, there were people who had lots of sort of website hosting licenses and suddenly the law changed in a, in a court decision and then or they all could be ISPs. Um, so we've seen, you know, this what I call mature markets and, and that's born by when you look at the number of people participating in the internet exchanges in, in, in South Africa and Kenya and even Nigeria, it's getting into nearly 100 you know, mm. per, per internet exchange. And then we go to some countries don't have internet exchanges. They only have one telco, some of them. Um, and, but we're seeing it change. So we, we're seeing um, Ethiopia has issued second licenses to, to, to Safaricom and Vodacom. Uh, they're looking to issue out more licenses and privatize Ethiopia Telecom. We saw South Sudan um, you know, enable us to, to build fiber, and we came in with the um, new fiber, the first fiber in Juba, which is sort of quietly um, built, and, and we didn't... Uh, there was a pandemic going on, so we never had the, the big media launch we, we, <laughs> we, we planned to have. But, um, but you know, a country like South Sudan or, or DRC... Um, which is a massive, massive country, mm. is at a totally different developmental level of the ecosystem than mm. than Kenya. And you know, Kenya is um, Kenya, Nigeria, uh, South Africa. We're seeing, you know, the first wave of techpreneurs uh, that, that that started businesses back in the day who've sold their businesses. We're seeing them reinvesting their their gains into into other things. Whereas we're seeing tech ecosystems in, in other places are really at the foundational level yeah. where they're, they're, they're having innovation hubs focused on training and, and la, la, la. Yeah. you know, so um, it, it, it is, um, it is helpful having learned what you've learned before 
uh, in other developing markets, then applying to to new developing markets that that, that are coming in. But I see some are going to things are going to happen faster, right? So, so what what's taken uh, Kenya's ahead because of the in, investments and, and decisions and policy decisions that were made 15 years ago. We're seeing changes like that happening in some of the countries I'm mentioning, but I think it'll take five years for for them to you know get to this level of maturity. Okay. Mm. Okay, so it'll be faster for them to catch up. I think so. Okay. Mm. So at this stage, we'll take a break forward from our sponsors. 5G is driving a monumental shift in accelerating the digital economy and unleashing digital transformation. It's re-architecting your entire business and reimagining your role in the communications landscape. To thrive in a 5G world, you need the agility and scalability of a modern cloud infrastructure. But siloed, vertically integrated clouds and manual lifecycle management are slowing down your journey to modernization, decelerating service delivery and cutting into your bottom line. The solution? Transform your legacy infrastructure with VMware Telco Cloud Platform. Our cloud-first approach unifies multi-cloud resources to reduce operational complexity. And cloud-native principles enable web scale speed, agility, and cloud economics, so you can accelerate innovation and bring new services to market faster than ever before. VMware Telco Cloud Platform gives you consistent infrastructure from core to edge. It's designed with telco-centric scale in mind, like ultra-high performance, support for distributed sites, and the ability to service millions of subscribers. VMware Telco Cloud Platform transforms your network operations with multi-layer automation from infrastructure all the way up to services. It understands the unique network characteristics required for each cloud-native network function and virtual network function, so you can optimize your cloud resources to deliver new services fast across 5G from core and edge. Don't let legacy limitations hold you back. Begin your journey to 5G at telco.vmware.com. Welcome back to the PM Infrastructure Podcast, where today we are chatting with Ben Roberts, who is the Group Chief Technology and Innovation Officer at Liquid Intelligent Technologies. Um, so earlier we were chatting about um, just building networks, and there's, there seems to be a lot of investment in both networks and data centers. Um, my just estimate from the data center projects announced, though some with uh, the capital uh, raise uh, defined in terms of the monetary value and those without, there seems to be around $300 million worth of data center projects coming up in Kenya alone, um, give or take. Um, and fiber projects are also getting a lot of investment um, with liquid intelligent technologies raising something in the order of $250 million. I think that was announced this week. Mm-hmm. The market seems to be getting red hot. Is there enough space for everyone? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I can't remember the exact number, um, but uh, the announcement this week was was around <laughs> IFC, obviously, obviously part of uh, World Bank, and and then they've um, been supporting us with our rollout. But um, there's a number which is from World Bank, which is talking about the the amount of. Uh, Fund or amount of infrastructure investment that needs to happen in in Africa, and it's a lot. And the number escapes me. But it, uh, you know, five billion is something that, the, that crops into my mind. Uh, they're talking around, you know, need for five hundred thousand kilometers of fiber to be built. 
Now, we've got a network of 100,000 kilometers. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, the infrastructure need, the infrastructure gap is massive. Um, and um, there are um, a lot of people who are enjoying, um, you know, the benefits of, of fast internet. Um, fiber is key. Uh, 4G and 5G are helping them get connected um, early. But there are still... Um, probably 300 million Africans who are never going to be close to a fiber in our lifetime, um, you know, in, in the whole continent. So it's, it's a, it's a long journey. Um, but you know, the competition is, um, is, is good, but it's also competition in, um, what are areas of, of some regulation? Um, and, and we have seen some markets where, um, you know, certain segments have been, uh, consolidating, right? So Uganda is a great example where they gave out like five or six mobile licenses and uh, and, and now there are less. You know, we've seen in Kenya as well, we saw um, four become three and then there's now one more has come up, but two were trying to merge. So, mm. you know, th there becomes a, a balance where uh, a particular domestic market is, is only so big to support uh, so many players in, in, in these niche areas. So, um, you know, South Africa is a is a bigger market, bigger economy. Nigeria is, is, a, is a big economy, but um, they have not yet reached, um, well, certainly Nigeria has not yet reached a saturation point. South Africa, we're, we're starting to see consolidation. We're starting to see smaller ISPs being being absorbed into bigger groups. Um, but competition sorts itself out, right? So, so you know, what happens is uh, if you have not enough, someone new comes along. If you have, if you have too much, people merge, people fail. Hmm. Um, so it's a self-regulating environment in okay. the, as competition goes. I think. Mm. Okay, so there's basically enough room for everyone. And I would say so. Okay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not feeling crowded at the moment. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> okay. Um, and then th there have been quite a number of projects by sort of like the global this fang type companies, uh, the global content companies, to put up cables in Africa, and there has been some. Um, discomfort uh, by the fact that, you know, the cables are going to be owned and operated by um, some of the content carriers, especially thought is around net neutrality and all of that. What are your feelings around, like, the two major cables that have been announced are to Africa and um, Equiano? What are your thoughts on these global vendors sort of coming in and um, competing with the network carriers with these undersea cables? There can be a perception that they're building them competing with the network carriers, and, and I'll, I'll come to why that perception is perhaps coming about um but the reality is that um you know these cables are are being built with um a lot of cooperation and uh in, depending on the model I, I i can't go into the models of different ones but uh some are going by models of of, of african carriers investing in the cables um some are going by models of um, capacity on those cables swapping for capacity on African networks. Um, but if we sort of look at, um, I think some of the history of, um, of this African subsea cable thing, uh, the first um, generation of African subsea cables were, were very much built by the major global world telcos. Uh, so I talk of BTs and AT&Ts and uh, Telstra's and who are you know, linking continent to continent. And African 
networks, often the, the you know the fixed line operators, were participated in those, but it, but the drive was coming from the you know some of the big global networks. Um, the second generation, um, uh, there were some private investments here, but but th there was I, I think a lot of the push for the second generation was coming from the really the bigger mobile networks in, in particularly in South Africa, but it's the same the same people um, you know the the MTNs, the Econets, the Vodafones, the um, uh, being part of that. But now when we look at global trends, subsea cable capacity is is no longer even being consumed um, by telcos as much as it is by cloud providers. So uh, cloud provider and global um, consumption of capacity. Cloud providers have already overtaken the global telcos and the and the mobile telcos. So so um, you know they're the ones needing capacity. They're seeing the growth. They're seeing this trend. They're seeing um, they're seeing an Africa that has a number of data centers that, that will be theirs. They're seeing two billion um, population emerging, and they're seeing a billion youth uh, in in that population emerging consuming. Um, you know their digital services, so they're seeing a big future. Um, but they're but they're thinking for what they need and the technologies they're using. They're thinking there's not enough, not enough capacity. They're thinking some of those generation one cables, generation two cables will come to an end. Um, so they've they've made a. I guess they've made their investments in the water. It's safe. It's a safe place to invest if you're an American tech company investing in offshore water mostly. But they've made a lot of partnerships with, um, you know, big operators um, in uh, in Africa, and um, that's probably less understood. Maybe they are um, overstealing the publicity side of things, um, and, and that does frustrate me a little bit. But I want to go into that. <laughs> but mm. I think that you know, when an announcement gets made of um, of, a, of an American tech company and five other African companies. Uh, investing in a cable, um, and that becomes a global news item. Nobody knows who those five African companies are. Uh, it is the one. It is the one American tech company that becomes the the headline. Yes, yes. and then that's bringing the perception. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think it's intentional, but I think it's just the nature of interest in these tech companies um, that that they end up, you know, stealing the headline of it. Okay, that makes sense. So basically, they they have been involved in the local ecosystem in their projects. Uh, they, they, they have, yeah. But, it, but it's, it, it is, um, you know, they are, um, they're looking at a market. They're looking at their needs, but they're also looking at, um, they're, they're looking at and collaborating and discussing a lot of the needs with the, the local telcos. It's not being done in isolation. Okay. Um, and in other words, just in general, what are your views on the maturity levels and of the Kenyan market? And where, what are your views on the ecosystem here? I mean, Kenya is at a um, it's at a very interesting stage. Um, Kenya makes a good um, it's a good environment for people to come and test their digital services for Africa, and and we're seeing quite a lot of. Um, Quite a lot of growth in in tech startups. We're seeing a lot of um, companies here, sort of um, what we'd call IT companies, ICT company system integrators. We're seeing a lot of them um, setting up or, or, or companies coming aboard. We're seeing 
some of those things are coming from diaspora as well. Uh, they, they're thinking of um, maybe they've worked in in USA and they're think, thinking of these things. So there's a lot going on, right? Um, and um, why is a lot going on? Because we've got um, different um, parts of what I would call infrastructure are I'll reach, I'll reach to maturity. And I'm not just going to, well, I'm going to expand the, the definition of infrastructure uh, to, to, to say what I mean here, because we looked at the, um, maybe the first wave of people trying to bring up tech companies, and maybe they were struggled with, um, there were no smartphones, there were, um, the beginning, didn't, I mean, there was no Impesa, uh, well, one day, one day in the past, but there was no mobile money. Um, we couldn't get product delivered. You know, certain things didn't work, um, like like deliveries and, and this and that. But um, you know, we've now got um, quite a number of platforms that are, are mature and working. So one of them is fiber. Um, one of them is uh, data centers. We've talked a lot about that. The next one is is you know last mile mobile access. To, um, uh, uh, so mo mobile broadband is is very much ubiquitous. Um, we're seeing a good penetration of um, fixed broadband. Um, so, you know, Kenya, maybe uh, 300,000 uh, fiber to the home com um, connections, probably another 200,000 wide home, you know, wide um, fixed wireless access connections. Some of those is, some of those fixed wireless access connections are, are these guys down there who are, who are we call them resellers. Hmm. But, but there are many people who, are, who have got fast connections as well as the mobile broadband connections, which um, are there. Then we've got the the delivery side. Um, we've got networks of digitally controlled or digitally uh, dispatched um, cars and motorcycles. And um, much as they cause problems on the road, they're there. And um, the, the digital platforms that have come over, um, whether they be um, doing the taxi business or whether they're doing pure deliveries, you know, this is giving a, a, a level of um, uh, efficiency uh, to, to delivery and, and accountability and traceability. So we can deliver products. So e-commerce is possible, right? So, so e-commerce um, 10 years ago wasn't possible because we didn't have, didn't have a proper ecosystem of delivery and you'd have to have your own riders and they'd mm. be waiting around for nothing to do and, you know, it just didn't work. Mm. Um, and then we've got mobile money. You can't uh, you can't ignore, but we've got mobile money with interoperability to allow people to innovate on the top. We've got cloud. Uh, we've got as well a large base of smartphones, and then most importantly, we've got a pretty large base. It can be bigger, but we've got a large base of techie tech smart Kenyans who are able to uh, adopt digital services and want to adopt digital services. Now, uh, not every country in Africa has that. Kenya has all of that right now. So right now, we're going to see an explosion. Is, and so to sort of touch on that, is that why this, there seems to be like a lot of friction for talent in the country? <laughs> <laughs> the talent question. Yeah. You know, um, I, I um, wrote some things about the recent comments yeah. about the talent question in the country. Yeah. So... Um, you know, back to our friends, um, you know, the big tech, um, there are, um, we have good talent here, right? Yeah. We, we, we don't, um, 
we don't really struggle to fill vacancies when we advertise for a particular technical skill. Um, we as a technology company normally fill it with a Kenyan. Um, the, um, I wouldn't say it was the same in every country and we don't even advertise them in every country. If, if our group function needs a particular skill, to support an operation in, I won't shame any countries here, but to support an, oper an operation in a country that hasn't got so much skills, mm. we won't even advertise it in that country. We'll advertise it in Kenya and, yeah. and we'll have a Kenyan do the job and, yeah. and they'll do it remotely from, from Nairobi. Um, but of course, the challenge in any labor markets is what it is. Startup companies are coming and, and they're trying to develop tech and, the, and they, they need developers. Some of them were complaining that... Um, you know, bigger global companies are coming and employing them and paying them a higher salary. Um, I think it's great that uh, developers are actually getting paid proper salaries. Um, I think uh, the more developers we see driving fast cars and, and <laughs> living in uh, <laughs> living in uh, Mithaiga, etc., yeah. etc., et the more developers we'll have. You know, yeah. uh, everybody will no longer want to become a politician. Everybody yeah. wants to become a developer. Um, yeah. So. Uh, it is about um, you know you've got to you can't just say everybody is on a thousand bob a day. Right? Yeah. You, you have particular skills; they take a long time to acquire. Um, so uh, it's a triumph. It's great. We will then see you know highly skilled, highly trained um, developers who have worked in organized proper big software companies who really know how to make you know really scalable software, not just apps. Right? We don't see. We've got million people who can make apps. Great. Um, I can make an app, right? But but you know we need people that can do hardcore software engineering, make products, make ICT products. Yeah. We don't need to um, bring in a system integrator to do an Oracle project from India. We see a lot of these things. You know, we can have um, have that base. So we we'll see people starting their own companies, starting their own system integrators. We we'll see them starting their own software companies, starting their own tech companies, and and they'll have the means to do so because they'll have had the the, the experience. They'll have in a few years of working with a good salary. So it's, it's a triumph to the, um, to the tech ecosystem. And it's, it's also um, going to be a big piece in um, this continual complaint about foreign money, foreign founders. It's going to be, it's gonna be uh, Kenyan founders, Kenyan money. Okay. So that's basically like a long-term solution to that tension. It's, 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 it's a piece of the evolution. Okay. Um, and finally, um, just going back to Liquid, why did Liquid uh, move from being a core telco to what is effectively now a technology firm? Yeah, I mean, we um, we ended up having uh, like a number of different areas of uh, of business, and um, you know, we were working very heavily in cloud and and really helping people use cloud, but we're also looking at applications on top of cloud, uh, and I talk of Internet of Things a lot. Um, but really, we've got like a data center side, we've got telecommunications, we've got, uh, we've, we've been, in our group as well, we've got payments and we've got um, renewable energy. So it, it's coming together in a, in a group of companies which has um, got, you know, some complementary tech companies. Um, and so it's, it's part of a, um, you know, structure at that level but but really it's it's about saying that we are your technology partner and we're not just here to provide you this many megabits per second we're, we're saying that we are um we're now able to help people um to do their whole 
ICT digital transformation. We've we come quite far on this journey. We've learned a lot about it ourselves. Um, and we're helping big companies to digitally transform. We're helping these young companies to, to be digital native companies. Okay, fantastic. I think that's it for me today. Um, any last remarks? Uh, it's, been, it's been good. Thanks very much. Um, and, and it was uh, good to chat. Yeah. And uh, thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for joining the podcast today. We'll see you in a fortnight. The Telco Cloud is powering the foundation of modern networks and combined with 5G and edge computing, transforming everyday communication experiences. But as the number of devices, applications, networks, and clouds grows, the ability to efficiently orchestrate and automate gets harder and harder. And today's siloed or integration-intensive solutions are no answer to these challenges. Introducing VMware Telco Cloud Automation, an orchestrator built to accelerate time to market of network functions and services, while igniting operational agility through automation across any network and any cloud. Create and onboard network functions and services with standard compliant visual tools and instantiate them on demand across any cloud, reducing time to deploy from months to minutes. Redefine operations with end-to-end -end visibility, repeatability, and multi-layer automation from infrastructure and Kubernetes clusters up to network functions and services. Build and apply policies that enable auto-operation framework, transforming operations and customer experiences with closed-loop actions and intent-based workload placements from the network edges to the core and from private to public clouds. Streamline your orchestration journey with Network Function Manager, Network Service Orchestrator, CAS and Infrastructure Automation, pluggable and standard compliant components adapted for any multi-vendor architecture. And leverage native integrations, including VMware Cloud and Tanzu Kubernetes to ensure operational and management consistency, faster innovation cycles, and maximum resource utilization. Further simplify interoperability by using VMware Telco Cloud Partners, limiting integration risk while promoting a best-of-breed architecture. VMware Telco Cloud Automation, bringing VMware's years of cloud management, networking, orchestration, and automation expertise to your Telco Cloud evolution. To learn more, visit telco.vmware.com today.